This is what the Huron River sounds like. What you can't hear are toxic chemicals like PFAS that have contaminated the water. Toxic PFAS are linked to cancer and brain damage in children. But State Representative Ryan Berman cut more than $21 million from the state's contaminated site cleanup fund. Ryan Berman's record is toxic. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC, not authorized by any candidate. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Hello. Hello. So we are back with another remote uh, version here of the GP takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and largely because the coronavirus pandemic continues, um, despite some of the Trump rallies that you might be seeing uh, around the country, it is extremely important to mask up and listen to the words of scientists who say that the pandemic is real and that we, in fact, can still, I don't know, what is this, the third, fourth curve help flatten here. So uh, in the midst of all this, early voting has started with more than 10 million ballots already cast nationally. And we are only 20 days away. That's less than three weeks away from Election Day 2020. Oh, my uh, gosh. Right? It is, it is. I feel like what has felt like it's last week was March, and yet tomorrow is uh, almost Election Day. Well, not tomorrow. 20 days. It's coming up on us. Time's a flat circle right now. So that's that is that is the best description I've heard. Uh, and that'll, of course, be the last day for voters to cast a ballot in this election. Um, but for folks who are at home, vote early. If you're if you're able and comfortable, mask up and vote early in person or vote early by mail in ballot. Um, and so in a year that is, you know, largely been dominated by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, it should not really be a surprise to folks that this election might unfold a little bit differently than past ones. Uh, I think we've uh, we've gotten used to knowing exactly on November 3rd or on election day, the, the winner and loser of the election and then the timeline for certifying election results this year, um, especially for the presidential election, might look a little bit different and might be significantly longer than in past elections. Um, and we want to make sure that folks know that and are comfortable, and we want to talk about the reasons why that might be might be the case here. Um, so, uh, and really just so important so that we can avoid any confusion or the spreading of, of misinformation and disinformation that we know um, has unfortunately become a, a component of our of our politics here. So to help us break down what to expect from election night 2020 and the ensuing process of counting and certifying ballots, we're joined by two guests from the Center for American Progress, 
Danielle Root, the Associate Director of Voting Rights and Access to Justice. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And we are also joined by Aaron Simpson, the Associate Director of Technology Policy. Thanks for being with us, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to jump into conversation here with both of you and, um, you know, just really break down what we can expect here on, on November 3rd and, and what we should uh, be prepared for and make sure that folks listening at home understand what's happening. You can share the, the good info with friends and neighbors and family. Um, so to get us started, Danielle, could you just share a bit about the, the work that your team does at the Center for American Progress and, and specifically what your role looks like um, as the Associate Director of Voting Rights and Access to Justice? Yeah, so I work on the democracy and government reform team at Center for American Progress. So we do any and all work related to, um, you know, protecting our democracy um, and also uh, with regard to obviously government reform. So um, myself, along with members of the team, work on issues related to redistricting, doing some work on the census right now. Um, I personally uh, manage CAP's voting portfolio, which includes our work on pro-voter policies like automatic voter registration, same-day voter registration and early voting, um, and also our work in pushing back against voter suppression efforts. Uh, I've also led CAP's election security work specifically regarding um, election infrastructure and procedures in the past. So think about things like the importance of paper ballots and having robust post-election audits to confirm results. I've done a lot of work in that area. Um, and finally, sort of randomly, um, I also do a lot of work um, uh, um, on federal court reform. So I dabble in a little bit of everything, um, but it keeps things, it certainly keeps things interesting. Awesome. Thanks, Danielle. Um, and and uh, Aaron, if you can share a bit about your work on the CAP technology policy team, um, and especially the, the sort of the connection here between the technology policy team and the and the topic of today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the technology policy team, the newest team at the Center for American Progress, um, and we get to promote policies that support a progressive vision of the internet. So I have a great job in that I get to translate all of the great socio-technical critiques from advocates and scholars about big tech's harms into regulatory proposals that can effectively address them. So I get to work on a whole bunch of issues from competition to digital rights, privacy and surveillance, and in the context of this conversation, disinformation. And so we do a lot of work thinking about disinformation, hate speech online, um, content moderation practices, and I get to work with all kinds of teams at CAP to try to make those things happen. And specifically in this election season, get to work with the democracy team and Danielle to try to figure out how we can make sure that the principles she's trying to carry out offline happen online too. So right now, our team very focused on election disinformation. And this is an all hands on deck situation. So there are all kinds of journalists and grassroots efforts and scholars who are out there online trying to catch stuff, take it down, and not have the same kind of repeats that we had in 2016 and in 2018 in terms of disinformation and misinformation really messing up different parts of our electoral process. I think that's so cool, Erin. Uh, I, 
I'm so excited that um, Center for American Progress uh, started that team that you're on because, I mean, <laughs> the world of digital is such um, a wild west. You know, there's so much new um, and rapidly developing technology and there are no rules for any of it. So I'm just imagining, you know, <laughs> everybody seeing Silicon Valley get this uh, this robber baron situation <laughs> going. And I think people are like, OK, let's let's do something about this. How do we make this like an equitable and fair space where everybody has the access and uh, the rules that they need to make sure that this is uh, governed by the same rules that the real world um, is supposed to have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it turns out, actually, we, we do need democratic oversight. Turns um, out. <laughs> no matter where you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, we're glad to have you both on the show. Um, Danielle, I know your team um, also held an event, uh, not literally at, but held a held a virtual event um, with the Center for American Progress uh, yesterday that tackled a similar uh, subject about, um, you know, information, disinformation, um, and what the election might look like, um, and how expectations can be managed around election night and the timeline for concrete results. At a high level, what do you think we can expect to happen once the polls close on November 3rd? And I know that this is something that we can spend the entire show talking about. So I'm, I'm thinking here, like, what is our, what is our top line um, <laughs> that we should be thinking about here before we um, move over to break in a little while? Yeah, so excellent question. What can you expect on election night? Um, there's going to be a lot of waiting around, um, which is not something that, that lots of people want to hear right now because we, you know, <laughs> election night is often, you know, you have your friends over and you have coworkers over, you have glasses of wine or something a little bit harder, um, depending on, on how the election is going. As, and the election, election night is typically a celebratory night. Um, and a time to really gather with, with people with similar ideologies um, to celebrate the democratic process. Obviously, with the pandemic, uh, there's not a lot of, um, you know, parties going on. But also, it's, it's really unlikely, particularly in competitive races around the country, including the presidential race, it's unlikely that we will know um, the winner of those races on election night. Um, unlikely, so sorry. Unlikely that we will know <laughs> the winner uh, on election night. Just, just repeating that. Um, as Danielle said, we're, it's unlikely that we know the winner on election night. Um, so I really want to dig more deeply into that, Danielle. When we get back, um, right now you are listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, that was Danielle Root from the Center for American Progress talking about how uh, we might not actually know who's won the election um, on November third this year, um, or into the wee hours of the morning on the following day. So, um, everybody, <laughs> prepare yourselves, have your coping mechanisms ready. Um, and we'll be right back with the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. 
Uh, today, today, we are talking about what to expect from election night 2020. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, we're not talking about who's going to win. We're talking about the fact that we might not know who wins at all, according to our on, on election night, according to um, some of our awesome experts here on the show today. Um, we have joining us Danielle Root from um, the Center for American Progress's uh, voting rights um, and access to justice team, um, and also Aaron Simpson um, from the Center for American Progress's technology policy team. Thank you both so much for joining us. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Danielle, why do you think people generally expect election night results so quickly? Um, and I guess on, as a follow up on that, why should people have different expectations for results this election night this year in 2020? So the news media has gotten very good at uh, reporting out preliminary election results, which are what is shared on election nights sort of what you see on CNN um, or MSNBC or Fox, not news, I think we're calling it these days. Um, so these preliminary results um, often disproportionately reflect ballots that are cast in person at polling places um, because those votes are often counted first before uh, mail ballots and provisional ballots get counted. Um, this usually isn't um, a problem because ballots cast in person typically constitute an overwhelming majority of all votes cast, uh, which is why you can sort of rely on these preliminary results to give you a good idea um, of eventual outcomes. The challenging part this year is that unprecedented numbers of voters are casting ballots by mail. And in some states, mail ballots can't be processed until on or very near to election day. Um, and these processes, they can take a while. And because of this, in certain states, um, large percentages of votes may not be counted by election night, uh, which can throw off these preliminary election projections. Um, so really expanded access to vote by mail is huge, is a hugely positive advancement for voter right, voting rights. And I want to make that clear. Um, it does mean that we may have to wait a little bit longer to know who wins elections, at least in certain states, including some swing states. Um, you know, we'll all have to sort of buckle in and prepare for election week or potentially even longer before we know the outcome of some races. But um, I want to really emphasize that waiting a little bit longer for, for election results is completely normal. Um, and it's all part of legitimate electoral processes and critically making sure that every vote gets counted. So, so Danielle, just to, to try to, to sum up, because I think that's hugely important information or to reiterate something you said, it's, it's always normal for people to count, for election officials to count the mail-in ballots, or at least some of the mail-in ballots after the projections go live on TV. What's different here this time is so many people are voting by mail that the number is significant enough that it can change where a state's votes are going. And so part of the reason for the delay is because we just need time to count all the ballots. It's literally counting votes. That's what's going to take time here. Exactly. It is making sure that every vote that is cast gets counted. Um, and it is much better to, for election officials to really take their time um, and exercise due diligence in ensuring that the right to vote is protected and that every vote cast is counted. It's better to make sure 
uh, that, that the ultimate results are correct based on people's vote count and voter intent than to rush these results, um, you know, just for the sake of, of satisfying people's curiosity um, on election night. Right. Especially because so many folks have been listening to experts and deciding, okay, great, I'm going to go ahead and vote by mail because I feel like that's the safest method for me at this moment in time. And because states have, as you said, really taken that great step to to make vote by mail more available or accessible um, to folks, which is a good change and good for democracy. It just means that there will be need, mean that there will need to be more time on the back end to count those ballots, especially because certain states, their laws don't allow them to begin counting mail-in ballots now. So there are hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that are ready to be counted in some states, and they're waiting for election day to begin processing. Um, so what is a reasonable time frame for election results this year? It's a great question. Um, I don't have a, a great answer to it. Um, it's hard <laughs> to say, unfortunately, um, we don't have all the answers. It, it's wild. Um, it's, it's really hard to say what a reasonable timeline is because every state uh, has very different laws uh, regarding the processes for counting ballots and when um, election results need to be certified or made official. Um, you know, so it's sort of, it varies by state, um, what constitutes as reasonable um, and allowable for that matter. Uh, I will say that federal law gives states until December to finalize their results and assign electors for the electoral college. So we will at least have to know um, who wins elections by, um, you know, early to mid December, um, if that if that timeline is helpful to people. Early, so early to mid December is the absolute latest. Um, and oh my gosh, I'm just mentally preparing myself for that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. buckle I, in, I mean, folks, buckle in. You know, I don't. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll take that long. That's sort of the outer parameter here, right? Um, but but folks shouldn't expect, I don't want anybody at home thinking, okay, so November 3rd, I'm not going to know, but by November 4th at noon, I'm going to be good, or November 5th. Like The reality is this can take several days or several weeks, and we should just be comfortable with that because of the underlying reason why. Exactly. I think you know, people should set expectations that you're not going to know on election night um, who wins in certain races. But beyond that, um, it's better not to set any expectations at all. Um, Got it. The, Got the it. processes are going to work their way through. Um, and, you know, election officials are, you know, will make sure that all votes are counted um, and that votes are counted fairly. Um, and however long that process takes, um, you know, dependent on, on state law, um, is how long it takes. And we yeah. just have to be okay with that. And, and it just speaks to the importance of secretaries of state and the state election officials and the work that they're doing to ensure, um, you know, free and fair elections, especially in states where their secretary of state is, is really committed to that. So, so Aaron, we, we've got just about 90, a little, about 60 seconds before we go to break here. Um, at a high level, what are some of the concerns that you have on the tech side? And just give us a little bit of a teaser here and we'll, we'll dive back into this when we come back from break. Absolutely. I, I'll tease you with this. You can imagine, as, as you just summarized really well, Brent, and as Danielle said, it could be a while, it could be days, it could be weeks. And so can you imagine what the internet's going to be at that time? We've got a situation where we have high information demand and low information supply. 
And so that's a perfect storm for disinformers and bad actors to spread disinformation about the election. And so we're worried about digital voter suppression, election delegitimization, and that disinformation spreading online when people are looking for results, but they're not there yet. That is the soundbite right there. (laughs) Man. Okay, well, you are listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, We're talking about what to expect um, and what to be prepared for on election night. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Leslie Marshall. Real people, real life, real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent A. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are talking today with two incredible guests, uh, knowledgeable guests, Danielle Root, Associate Director of Voting Rights and Access to Justice, and Aaron Simpson, Associate Director of Technology Policy, both at the Center for American Progress. Um, And we're talking about what election night 2020 could look like and uh, shedding light on the fact that the process will take a little bit longer this year to determine a winner on the presidential election than in years past because of the way folks are casting ballots via mail and early ballots and election day. Um, So uh, Danielle and Aaron, thanks for coming back with us. Thanks for having us back. Talking about it now. Talking about it. So Aaron, you (laughs) you gave us, you gave us a teaser just before we went to break about what disinformation could look like and why the technology policy team is involved in this area. So I want to just dig a little bit more here. Um, like so, so expand a little bit on what these challenges potentially could be around disinformation and what the internet could sort of um the concerns that might exist and 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 how we can help to guard against that what can we do to proactively make sure or at least tamp down uh some of those concerns that you mentioned yeah absolutely so you know we're we're really concerned that with a different timeline this year um it'd be really easy for bad actors to sort of take advantage of that information void online and fill it with all kinds of things. They could do exactly the opposite of what we want, which is try to make it seem like the timeline is proof of a problem or try to exploit people's kind of lack of knowledge about some of these election processes to make it seem like there's a problem where there isn't one. Or honestly, just prematurely judging results. And today, social media platforms are a really big part of our information environment. So media right now, there are all kinds of decision desk processes where you have a lot of super stringent official results calling processes. So, you know, the AP or Reuters, you know, these folks are really careful about how they're putting together the pieces of results calling. But online, we're worried that because of sort of moderation practices, social media are going to let people claim all kinds of things. And given the lack of information out there right now, those things could go viral. It could make a really confusing environment. And this could go on for days or weeks. So our team's working on recommendations for social media platforms to deal with this problem after polls close. And first, we need them to remove election delegitimization content. This is the kind of thing where we don't think putting a label up is enough. Um, sometimes just the information out there or the suggestion is bad enough. And so 
If fact checks and labels won't do it, we really want folks to be taking down just baseless delegitimization. Um, and they have to develop standards for fact-checking election results. So just in the same way that major media have really specific standards for when they're going to call an election result, we think it's time for social media platforms to develop those standards too so that they can fact-check. And then we need them to start thinking about those products. So right now, a lot of social media products contribute pretty directly to the spread of disinformation. Our team has proposed product interventions like viral circuit breakers, changing their content moderation practices to try to catch claims that are going viral really quickly before they have millions and billions of views. And then just taking more steps to prevent violence. Um, you know, we're really concerned and, and we think we need to prepare um, reasonably for, for all outcomes. And so it's always been important for social media platforms to take down hate speech in any content or that calls for violence. And that's more important than ever in this post-election period. So, you know, we really want them to be focusing on that. And we've got a bunch of suggestions to those ends. Yeah, I was actually um, going to ask you, Erin, about um, the the how some of the uh, things that just start off online end up playing into um, like violent and scary uh, real life repercussions um, and how, you know, it seems impossible um, that some of these social media platforms that let uh, rumors and sort of games of telephone um, grow explosively uh, with, you know, claims of like, well, they're it's just a joke um, when it becomes an echo chamber of it's just a joke that makes mention of violent or, uh, you know, racist or vitriolic content over and over and over again. At what point, <laughs> at what point does the platform become responsible for sort of fomenting some of this? Um, so, I mean, I, I think people sort of say, well, it's, I, I guess like, I've been having a lot of these conversations with my extended family members about like, well, it's just online or it's like, it's not real life. Um, and at some point you kind of go, uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand how you haven't seen how this hasn't translated into real life. Um, and who's responsible for stopping this. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, online is real life and, um, kind of the, the faded notion that, um, there's, some kind of um, not real life online, it's just gone. And, and there can be real consequences. I mean, even in the last couple of months, we've seen, for example, you know, we, we learned this week of the plot to kidnap Governor Whitner of Michigan, which is, you know, horrendous. And we learned that, okay, those folks are, you know, using Facebook's group tools to organize that. And, and we learned the same thing in Kenosha, where there were calls to arms on Facebook group tools. And so, you know, advocates have for so long been asking Facebook to change group recommendations and take things down. Muslim advocates, for example, had been calling for the kinds of changes that Facebook has recently announced for a long time. But even as they're announcing more and more changes, as we get closer to the election, um, it's all about enforcement. And the enforcement history is um, really poor for a lot of these platforms. And so we're getting worried um, and we're continuing to make uh, recommendations to try to do what we can to reduce harm between now and the election and after the election. So, you know, Aaron, that's that's hugely helpful and so glad to hear about the, the work that you're doing. I There's a point that I also want to stress here, um, which is this is this should not be, I, and I emphasis on should, 
this should not be really a partisan conversation. And I've got some data here that just came out today on um, from the Kenny Impact, latest Kenny Impact poll on Georgia. And I'm looking at the cross tabs right now. So that's a, you know, right now they've got a, they've got a, according to the polling, a bit of a lead here um, on Biden, but it's a very close race. Um, fully 30% of voters in Georgia plan to vote by mail. They say that's their voting plan, 30%. The same is true in Ohio, where they also released a new poll today, and it's a virtual tie. Not only is it a virtual tie, in looking at Georgia now, um, they are the age group that breaks most for Trump, actually, 49, 48, according to this one poll. And they say that among 65 plus, so among seniors, only 18% plan to vote in person on election day, 45% plan to vote by mail. Um, so as we talk about votes that may not fully be counted, this is not a one-sided partisan thing. This is really about the integrity of the election and making sure that we are counting all votes, regardless of which party or which age group or which candidate that they might receive votes for. Um, and so I just, I saw those numbers here as we were on the show and wanted to mention that again, it's a, a virtual tie here in Georgia, perhaps a slight lead on Biden, but the, the age group most lo likely to vote for Trump, according to this poll at least, is saying 45% a plurality are planning to vote by mail and their votes need to be counted just as much as anybody else's. And even if that takes a few days post-election. So, you know, thinking about um, the potential here for misinformation and disinformation and making it a little bit difficult for people to get accurate information about results, where do you suggest that folks turn to to make sure that they are getting accurate information? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start and I'll welcome Danielle to come back in here too. But one thing um, a lot of social media platforms have done well is get out information about how to vote in people's everyday feeds. And that's been great. We've really appreciated those efforts. Um, and they can do the same thing with developing standards and putting forth reputable standards, front and center, persistent state banners, no matter where you go online. So we're hoping those kind of things can help inoculate against any misinformation that's circulating about false results claims. Yeah, Erin, that's, that's absolutely right. There have been some really great um, advancements on these platforms in getting people information and also encouraging them to vote. Um, other resources, I really, really encourage people this year in particular um, to go to official websites. Um, that will have the most accurate and up-to-date um, information. So your Secretaries of State website, um, in some places, uh, Lieutenant Governors uh, manage state elections, so go to that website, or your Boards of Elections website um, to learn specifically about deadlines, other election information, and to get up-to-date information on election outcomes. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Danielle. Um, and thanks, Erin. Uh, I, I want to ask a little bit more about the right things for folks to be looking for um, when we come back uh, in just a few minutes after this commercial break, um, what sort of signifiers you can use to make sure that you're looking at accurate information online um, and how you can do some fact checking um, on your own. You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. 
Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I am Brent J. Cohen. Uh, we've got some great guests uh, with us today. Um, we're talking to two folks who both work at the Center for American Progress, Danielle Root, um, who works on um, democracy and access to democracy, um, and Aaron Simpson, the Associate Director of Technology Policy. Thank you both so much again for joining us for this final segment. Our pleasure. Our yeah. Pleasure. Um, so uh, just before we cut to commercial break this uh, most recent time, Erin, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what folks should be looking for to make sure that they are finding um, accurate information. Um, just a couple of if you have any any tips or tricks, uh, things that folks should be talking to maybe older relatives about. Sometimes I know it's um, it can be harder for folks to parse out um, what's a good way to find real and reliable information. Um, and then also maybe Danielle, if you have any thoughts on if folks want to be finding reliable information leading up to election day, what are the best ways folks can find that reliable information? Sure. Thanks, Charlotte. So as Danielle already mentioned, you know, get it right from the source. The official results are great. Figure out where your county clerk's office is, and then you can be spreading that kind of information online in your network. That, and especially when you're th thinking about your relatives now, you know, go out and have conversations early about setting expectations around election night and about the possibility of dis and misinformation being circulated. You know, one of the best things we can do is help inoculate against that confusion. And so when you see folks sharing stuff that, that's baseless and untrue now, you know, now's a great time to go, hey, like, let's, let's talk about this, because this is setting up, you know, kind of a bad expectation. And so I would just say, you know, there's the best practices that you can always follow, and, and you can reach out and help your community follow them, too. And so you want to be avoiding amplification. You know, if you're going to rebut something, you don't have to share it. Um, definitely report disinformation when you do see it um, on social media, or if you feel like it's giving out really bad disinformation about how to vote or what's happening, you know, you can go ahead and contact your county clerk and just let them know that this, uh, this kind of stuff is going on. Avoid cross-pollination, so definitely don't amplify, but also don't amplify further, you know? If you see bad information, you can rebut that without having to sort of spread that message further. And then relationships are incredibly important. So, you know, build trust with people you know, and you can start reaching out now because it could be really charged in the days following the election. And so starting conversations early is good. Awesome, awesome, thank you so much. Uh, Aaron and then Danielle, I know that um, you have some good ways for folks to make sure that there. <laughs> unfortunately, there are different rules and different guidelines for every state on um, on all of this stuff. So, uh, what should folks be looking for if they want to make sure they're finding accurate information um, leading up to the election and as they're heading to their polling locations? I'll just repeat what Aaron said: is go straight to the source. Um, you know, go to your state secretary of state website, your local board of elections, your state board of elections. They are going to have all of the information that you need um, in knowing about um, important election deadlines and also information about how the vote processing, um, how the vote processing process works. Um, and, you know, once you learn these things, um, Aaron mentioned this too, talk to your friends and family, talk to your neighbors, um, because it's it's likely that a lot of other people don't have 
have this information and aren't searching for these things. Um, educating others on legitimate election processes and providing some transparency into how elections and vote counts are run um, are going to go a really long way in instilling public confidence. And in good news, um, some states have already put out explainers and PSAs um, communicating this to members of the public, to members of the media. We've seen some stuff come out of um, North Carolina recently, which is great, providing people with explainers and information on how these processes work, and also in pushing back against um, misinformation. Um, you know, I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on right now, and there's a lot of information being thrown at people. Some of that information is good, some of it isn't. Um, this is sort of the disinformation that Aaron described in, de in more detail earlier in the show. Um, the point is that it's okay to feel overwhelmed right now, but there are, um, you know, reliable sources. Um, you know, call up your local election office. They will answer all of your questions. They are there to help. Um, and getting it from the source as opposed to, you know, what your cousin's friend's boyfriend uh, posts on Facebook um, is, is really, really important this year because there's a lot of people trying to prevent you from voting. You know, I just to just to double down quickly on on a point that I think both Aaron and Danielle mentioned. If folks, if you see loved ones or extended family members or others sharing disinformation now, um, that's that's likely a pattern. I know I noticed uh, uh, an extended family member sharing disinformation. It wasn't about the election, but it was about salaries for members of Congress or something like that. And I was like, hey, you know, this isn't true. And was able to find three different official sources straight from the source and say like, here is how it talks about how elected officials are paid. Um, and, and how important it was to sort of begin that conversation there. Um, because unfortunately we know this information, this information will spread. Um, so it's great just to read up on it and go straight to the sources, both Danielle and Aaron said, and secretaries of state website, shouts out to those secretaries of state that are proactively putting out explainers now and updating their websites now so that folks have accurate information from a trusted neutral source, um, in this situation. So where, where can folks learn more about, about you and, and your work, um, websites or uh, social, media social media handles that folks should be following? Sure, sure. Um, well, you can find all the tech policy team's work at the Center for American Progress uh, online. That'll get you there. You can find my personal thoughts on these issues on Twitter at ESMPSN. And if you're looking for resources about disinformation, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And I suggest you check out the greats. Go to First Draft, look at Pen America, read work by Shireen Mitchell, Melissa Ryan, Joan Donovan, Whitney Phillips. A lot of good stuff out there. Get educated now. Now's the time. For our CAPS voting work, for my work, uh, go to AmericanProgress.org, um, look for Danielle Root or the Democracy in Government uh, team's work. Um, you can also, on the CAP website, click on the Events tab uh, to watch yesterday's um, event on um, election night expectations, which uh, featured EAC Chairman Ben Hovland, Michigan Secretary of State um, Jocelyn Benson, um, Cap's own Adam Connor and HuffPost's um, Amanda Turkle, um, who all had had really excellent information and um, analyses of, of election night results, um, how they've been determined in the past, and and what to expect uh, in November and setting reasonable expectations. 
Awesome. And I think that the main takeaway here for folks who are at home thinking like, so what is, you know, what is one of the main takeaways? It is vote. Go out and vote, whether you vote early in person, mask up, whether you um, choose to vote on election day, or whether you choose to vote early by mail. Make sure that you're voting. If you're voting by mail, make sure that you are opening up that ballot and reading all of the instructions. We know instructions vary state by state. So don't listen to, you know, as uh, your cousin's boyfriend's friend from two states over, it's really important that you open up that ballot, read your state-specific instructions, and vote um, early and vote confidently. Because as we just talked about, there might be, you know, bad actors who try to sow confusion but the bottom line is the reason this election will take a few more days or weeks or whatever it is to decide the ultimate winner is because we as a system or the system, excuse me, will be counting all ballots. And that is incredibly important. And it's incredibly important because it means that your vote is incredibly important. And so, you know, as a sort of lasting takeaway, please make sure that you're voting in whichever way you feel is most safe and most appropriate for you make sure that you're voting. Um, Charlotte, any uh, any closing thoughts here? You know, I I just love that uh, <laughs> that the CAP tech te- uh, technology teams and democracy teams are working together. Um, I think that 2016 demonstrated to us um, how closely linked these things um, are and can be when they should not be quite so closely linked and able to influence each other. So I'm really glad that uh, this work is being done together and in tandem. Um, and that is just about all the time that we have for today, I think. Um, And I really want to say a special thank you to our guests. Um, Again, we had on the show today, uh, Danielle Root from the Center for American Progress. We also had Aaron Simpson from the Center for American Progress. Um, As always, I want to say a special thank you to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, for making sure that we sound good and that you can hear us uh, as we're doing all of this from our homes. Um, I also want to say a special thank you to our senior press associate, Emily Leach, who helps pull together the show and find our guests. Um, And then to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, And make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at GenProgress. We will be talking to you again on our next Remote Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show on October 28th. Thanks so much. Toxic chemicals have contaminated the Huron River, but Representative Ryan Berman voted to cut millions from the state's cleanup fund. Berman's record is toxic. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC, not authorized by any candidate. This is what the Huron River sounds like. What you can't hear are the toxic chemicals like PFAS that have contaminated the water. Toxic PFAS chemicals are linked to cancer and brain damage in children. These toxins have poisoned our water, making it dangerous to drink and unfishable. And State Representative Ryan Berman is making it worse. Berman voted to cut more than $21 million from the state's contaminated site cleanup fund. And the damage doesn't stop there. Just months ago, Berman sided with the big oil company that caused the largest inland oil spill in American history voting to let them drill a pipeline under our waterways. Ryan Berman's record is toxic for Oakland County. Vote Julia Pulver for representative by November 3rd. Paid for with regulated funds by Michigan Leadership Committee PAC, 
Not authorized by any candidate.